0: It's batting, Jim, but not as we know it. This is big. Star for how do to know all engines running. Lift off. We have a lift off. Hey, you! Get your damn hands off her! It is vital that you stay in your homes, make no attempt to reach loved ones, and avoid all physical contact with the assailants. You mean everything you hear on TV? Welcome to episode 155 of the Bashcast. Everybody's dead, Dave. It is 12 minutes past four on the 19th of March 2020. This afternoon we asked the question, if you were living in a dystopian story, where all the population of the world was at risk, social isolation was enforced, everybody was to stay indoors, all public gatherings and sport events across the globe were cancelled. How does this define us as a people? Is there any hope anymore? How does this define you as a person? And what can any of us do about it? English football is suspended until at least the 30th of April because of the continued spread of the coronavirus. That is all games in England Premier League, EFL, Women's Super League, the Women's Championships and all fixtures in Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. Whether the football season returns is questionable. It's not going to be the 30th of April. I think we can pretty much figure that one out. It's going to be longer than the 30th of April. It's going to go into May. The season would have finished in the middle of May. Anyway, in a situation where we won't have played another game. And the league table is stuck on 29 games for most teams and 28 games for Sheffield United and Manchester City. That um, t- that game in hand for Sheffield United is key and important. It would take them from 7th f- to 5th if they won it. They'd be from 43 points to 46 points. Assuming Manchester City um, are disqualified from the Champions League and there are four Champions League spots next year, that would mean that Sheffield United qualified for the Champions League. So... The outstanding game is important. Are they going to finish the league table and freeze it now? I mean, it would be an unfair way of finishing it, but sometimes there are no right solutions. We're just looking for the least worst solution. You've got to think that freezing it with an unfair imbalance of some teams have played teams at the top of the table and some teams have played teams at the bottom of the table is, well, it's better than public health risks. It's better than actually playing games. To me, I don't understand exactly the risks behind finishing the season behind closed doors. But if you don't finish it behind closed doors, the other two alternate... All The only two... Alternatives are the season starts up again, perhaps in August. So next season is pushed back and we finish this season. Or we f- we freeze all the tables now, creating huge complications for relegation, and promotion and different divisions. Let's have a look at the, the championship has Leeds and West Bromwich Albion with some playoff places. Bristol City are only one place off the playoff places, uh, with Charlton, Luton and Barnsley to go down, but Charlton are one win away from Hull City, Wigan, Middlesbrough, Huddersfield and Stoke. You can't relegate them after 37 games of the 46-game season. You can't relegate Bournemouth, Aston Villa and Norwich from the Premiership. It's very complicated. There are no no right decisions with the football leagues. We spoke last time about the summer tournaments. The Euros 2020 are now going to be the Euros 2021. Horse racing has been cancelled across Britain. It was suspended from Wednesday until the end of April because of the coronavirus outbreak. There was some hope that racing would go on behind closed doors, although at that time the Grand National meeting at Aintree was cancelled. Tuesday's meetings this week at Weatherby and Taunton went ahead behind closed doors without spectators, but the British Horse Racing Authority said the decision will be kept under constant review. Nick Russ, the chief executive of the British Horse Racing Authority, said this is a national emergency, the like of which most of us have never seen before. We're a sport that is proud of its connection to rural communities and to local businesses. But our first duty is to the health of the public, our customers and to racing industry participants. So we have decided to suspend racing following the government's latest advice. And this was Boris Johnson's announcement on monday evening that public gatherings should be limited the reason being there are some clever mathematicians modeling and predicting the growth rate of this virus and the virus contagion rate is growing faster than had been previously modelled and there was a worst case scenario under the previous assumed restrictions on movement which suggested that 250,000 people would die and the NHS would only be over capacity by eight times its capacity. And I apologise, that wasn't the worst case scenario. That was the best case scenario, 250,000 deaths. And eight times over capacity in the NHS. Which is why Boris Johnson announced these restrictions of movement plans on Monday, which resulted in or the horse racing being called off. The football was also called off because... The football had to be. You've got how many tens of thousands of people congregating inside a football stadium? Racing in Ireland is set to continue behind closed doors despite the coronavirus in, um, and the fixtures in Great Britain being suspended until the end of April. Um, there's going to be a maximum of one meeting a day to maintain employment and incomes for people working in the industry. And that was on the basis of being able to achieve and maintain health and safety advice. And look, Ireland are their own island, as the UK is its own island. We have different growth rates and different predictions to mainland Europe, where it has been awful in Spain and Italy and France, where the number of cases have been growing at a different and more alarming rate than the UK and the rate in Ireland has been slower and they are slightly behind the curve and uh, their decisions to continue with horse racing behind closed doors will be based on entirely different models and predictions than the UK and at least that will give us something I mean imagine the efficiency of those Irish that one Irish meeting per day will be like nothing on earth because everybody who's Everybody's money is back in their own bank accounts doing nothing just now, earning 0.0% in interest rates. Um, so just like the Turkish football that's been on this week, the those markets, the correct score markets and the secondary markets in those games, they've never seen efficiency like that on the exchanges for Turkish football and for South American football, South American league football. Because everybody's money has to go somewhere. The the people that are left, the traders that are left trying to to make anything. So we've got some racing over an island. The golf has been completely suspended. The players tournament was suspended after day one. My money was on Harris English, who was in second place, shooting six under par. On day one. But you've got to understand that the PGA involves so much movement of people. So much movement of spectators and industries around the PGA, not just the golfers themselves, that that decision can't have been easy, but was probably the correct one. Golf is probably going to be one hobby that is going to become quite popular this summer as... You know, you're really, you are really self-isolating and social distancing out on the golf course. And there's going to be a lot of people with not a lot to do this summer. The Masters was cancelled. The PGA Championship was cancelled. So the Masters on the 9th of April at Augusta and the PGA at TPC Harding Park in San Francisco on the 11th to 17th of May have been postponed. So that's the first two majors and the the players is like the fifth unofficial majors, so that's three of the five gone this year for the golf. I did manage to get a little bit of money on um Anna Nordquist in the Moon Valley Classic. Simply because William Hill were eleven to two and everybody else seemed to be seventy four and two to one and that was the only thing I was basing that off. Just a, and you could bet on it in machines and shops, so you get a lot of money on it. Um Anna Nordquist played the the Moon Valley Classic seems to be on twice in two weeks. It was the Moon Valley Classic for men two weeks ago. And she was the leader after round one, was shooting sixty four. She then shot about three over par and four over par for the final two rounds. These are um fifty four hole competitions um so she finished about 28th uh, out of all of the men and now this is the moon valley classic for women so she's like massive favorite actually i've just brought up the market here she, the top price on it just now and they haven't even hit a ball yet is Boyle sports at 15 to 8 most people are six to four sporting better as low as um 2.1 have you ever seen anyone as low as 2.1 since the tiger days for a golf tournament how many runners are in that? Doesn't actually say, but I can roughly count about maybe 50, if everyone's priced up. Although, it does seem that half the field are 100 to 1 and more. you got three people at the top. Um, Mina Harry 3 to 1. Amy Olsen, 9 to 2. But Anna Nordquist, what a short price she is. I'm very happy the 11 to 2 is a little bit whiffy that we took it, only took it on the basis that it looks a bit silly compared to the rest of the books, but I'm happy with that decision now. Know nothing about her, nor the Moon Valley classic. Um The Las Vegas Strip has shut down for the first time since the JFK assass- assassination in 1963. Gambling ground to a halt on Wednesday in Casino Mecca, Las Vegas. Um, As Democrat Steve Sisolak ordered a month-long freeze on gambling, shutting down everything from the famous casino resorts to slot machines found in casino convenience stores, cutting off an industry that fuels the state's tourism and hospitality-powered economy. Um, It included the the month-long closure of non-essential businesses like bars, movie theaters, and gyms at noon on Wednesday. Restaurants mostly shop but were allowing takeout and delivery. Can you believe it? Can you believe what's going on? The WSOP usually starts in um, May of the summer. It was scheduled to break in in May the 27th at the Rio Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. As it is, it's still going ahead which is just an unbelievable Decision. Um, I mean, you look at the current global health crisis and the decisions that have been made in other sports. We even have things like snooker and horse racing can't take place behind closed doors. Yet, with the World Series of poker, what you have is tens of thousands of people from different countries and locations around the world, all squeezed into the same building, all breathing the same recycled, air-conditioned air. And whilst this particular disease isn't airborne, you can still catch it if you're within two meters of someone and they sneeze on you. And how many people have you seen in a poker room or a poker table sneeze delicately into a handkerchief. It's almost a competition for how powerfully and aggressive you can sneeze across the room. But more so, this disease is transmitted through touch. So you've got all of these poker players touching the chips, putting the chips back in the rack, being dealt to other players who are touching the chips and putting them in the middle, and they're being given to other table. I mean, you have a lot of people from countries where... The spread of the disease is a lot more rapid compared to the rest of the world. We're talking America, Canada, Western Europe, China, Hong Kong, places like that. Really, the hubs of the spread of this disease are where these players are likely to come from. All breathing the same air, all touching the same felt, all touching the same chips and swapping them around. I cannot believe that this event is going to go ahead. Um, Apparently, the director of the World Series of Poker says it's too early to make a decision. He said that two days ago. He said there can still be a lot going on at the end of May. Maintaining, cancelling, and postponing is really too early to make a final decision. We're going to take more time, but are studying the scenarios. I mean, the organizers are hoping that this coronavirus thing goes away quickly, but no one else is predicting that that is going to happen. So I think there's a problem with um, logistical reasons, perhaps ineffective decision-making, insurance, s- vendors, certain things. There just seems to be something going on where actually calling a final decision to cancel it, it, it probably has a financial impact, but there can, there's going to be no other outcome. The only thing that seems to be up in the air just now, the Tokyo 2020 Olympics, which the IOC still say are going to go ahead. They're scheduled to begin on the 24th of July 2020 in Tokyo, Japan, despite the cancellation of almost every other sports event. This is really unfair on the athletes themselves. The athletes themselves have to train and they hone their training with a particular outcome in mind at a particular point of time in the future. My sister is an extremely fast marathon runner before she became a CrossFit gym owner. She ran times in the marathon that would have had a reasonable chance of qualifying for many Olympics for Great Britain Well under three hours. But when she targeted having a fast time, a lot of her training for weeks and months upon time would lead up to that fast time. You don't just sort of turn up and do it as an athlete. You don't just get match fit like a footballer ready to go on any particular day. When you can jump very far and jump very high and run very fast... You target the time that you want to be in peak physical condition for that particular skill set. And then you work a program backwards so that everything that you're doing from altitude training to your diet to resistance training to strength training is all focused with that end goal in mind. Now, a lot of that training can't be done simply because Olympic athletes, most of which will have other jobs or require Funding, because it's very difficult to be a profession in a lot of these kind of amateur weightlifting athletics activities. A lot of them will be unable to be optimally at the correct training camp or at altitude or surrounded by the right people because social distancing measures have been put in around the world. There is zero chance that they can effectively at this point be thinking about particular training strategies with the 24th of July, which is only four months away in mind. You know, now is the time where everything would be accelerating. Um, and amazingly, the IOC have been unable to pull the plug on this, again, almost certainly for insurance and for economical reasons, Matthew Pinsent, the gold medal winning rower, said, I'm sorry, Mr. Bach. Mr. Bach is the president of the IOC. This is tone deaf. The instinct to keep safe, not to mention obey government instructions to the lockdown is not compatible with athlete training, travel and focus that a looming Olympics demands of athletes, spectators, organizers, etc. Keep them safe. Call it off. In an earlier statement, though the IOC had warned that no solution would be ideal in preparing for the Tokyo twenty twenty, and that's where you need good leadership, because when in a scenario like this, you have to pick the least worst solution, that benefits the most amount of people. And benefits is a really strange word. Benefits can sometimes mean the fewest amount of people die. And you'd be like, well, if I'm one of the people that die, I don't really get the benefit of this. And the benefit, unfortunately, is that there were not as many deaths as there could have been. But there's going to be a lot. Listen, that's enough for the first half. In the second half of the Bash cast, I neither have Edge's Angles nor sports to look forward to so we'll try and look at a little bit of the mathematics and the statistics behind the pandemic that's on just now and if you've had enough of the coronavirus and um, would rather have a break of it I can't blame you and um, just giving you a heads up now so you can switch off at the end of the tune ok guys you are listening to the Bashcast and it's brought to you by Bookie Bucky Bashing dot net was wild by tourist from the album wild 2009 in the bookie bashing news the current coronavirus disease has been called a once-in-a-century pandemic but it also may be a once-in-a-century evidence fiasco writes Professor John Ioannidis, um, Professor of Medicine and Population Health and Statistics at Stanford University. So the suggestion here is that a collection and understanding of data and statistics could be so poor. During this pandemic that we may be endangering lives at a time when everyone needs better information from disease modelers and governments to people quarantined or social distancing. We lack reliable evidence on how many people have been infected with SARS-CoV-2 or who continue to become infected. Better information is needed to guide decisions and actions of monumental significance and to monitor their impact so this is because draconian measures have been adopted in so many countries including germany france italy china the united states of america and now the uk if the can if the pandemic dissipates either on its own or because of these measures short term extreme social distancing and lockdowns they might be bearable How long, though, should measures like this be continued if the pandemic churns across the globe unabated? And this is the worry. I've stopped seeing my parents. My dad's over 70. My mum is coming up to 70 and has diabetes. Those two are both at an extremely high-risk group. And I usually take the kids and them to go and see their grandparents on a Wednesday, but now it's just not worth the worth the risk. What if the kids are asymptomatic? I mean, small children are not getting any symptoms from this disease, but what if they're carrying it and then they carry it to my parents? I wouldn't be able to handle it. I can't accept the risk of allowing that to happen, so I can distance myself socially. We're actually in self-isolation just now because we shared a cottage on the weekend with a bunch of medics, and one of the medics has a fever. It doesn't mean that anyone's got coronavirus. In fact, there's a lack of testing available that my friend, the GP, she can't get a test to see if she does have coronavirus or not. So she has a fever. It could be and it could not be. We're all self-isolating who are at that cottage as a re- as a result of that. That is the... Governmental advice. Yet, how long are we all going to have to socially distance for? What if this pandemic is around for years? Are we all going to socially distance for years? How long am I going to go without seeing my own parents? Professor Mans? goes on. Vaccines or affordable treatments take many months or even years to develop and test properly. Given such timelines, the consequences of long-term lockdowns are entirely unknown. The data collected so far on how many people are infected and how the epidemic is evolving is utterly unreliable. Given the limited testing to date, some deaths and probably the vast majority of infections are being missed. We don't know if we are failing to capture infections by a factor of three or 300. Three months after the outbreak emerged, most countries, including the US and the UK, lack the ability to test a large number of people, and no countries have reliable data on the prevalence of the virus in a representative random sample of the general population. This evidence fiasco creates tremendous uncertainty about the risk of dying. From COVID-19 reported case fatality rates like the official 3.4% rate from the World Health Organization cause horror and are meaningless. Patients who have tested for SARS-CoV-2 are disproportionately those with severe symptoms and bad outcomes. As most, most health systems have limited testing capacity, selection bias may even worsen in the future. The one situation where an entire closed population was tested was the Diamond Princess cruise ship and its quarantine passengers. The case fatality rate there was 1%, but this was a largely elderly population in which the death rate from COVID-19 is much higher. Projecting the Diamond Princess mortality rate onto the age structure of the US or UK populations the death rate among people infected with COVID-19 would be 0.125%. That's an eighth of 1%. But since this estimate is based, based on extremely thin data, there were just seven deaths amongst 700 infected passengers and crew. The real death rate could stretch from five times lower, a 40th of 1%, to five times higher. Over half of 1%. It is also possible that some of the passengers who were infected might die later and that tourists may have different frequencies of chronic diseases, a risk factor for worse outcomes with SARS-CoV-2 infection than the general population. Adding these extra sources of uncertainty, reasonable estimates for the case fatality ratio in the general population vary from... 0.05% to 1%. That is a huge range, and it markedly affects how severe the pandemic is and what should be done. A population-wide case fatality rate of 0.05% is lower than seasonal influenza. If that is the true rate, locking down the world with potentially tremendous social and financial consequences may be totally irrational. It's like an elephant being attacked by a house cat, frustrated And trying to avoid the cat, the elephant accidentally jumps off a cliff and dies. Could the COVID-19 case fatality rate be that low? No, some say, pointing to the high rate in elderly people. However, even some so-called mild or common cold-type coronaviruses... ...that have been known for decades can have case fatality rates as high as 8% when they affect elderly people in nursing homes. In fact, such mild coronaviruses infect tens of millions of people every year... ...and account for 3-11% of those hospitalized in the US with lower respiratory infections each winter. These mild coronaviruses may be implicated in several thousands of deaths every year worldwide though the vast majority of them are not documented with precise testing. Instead, they are lost as noise amongst 60 million deaths from various causes every year. Although successful surveillance systems have long existed for influenza, the disease is confirmed by a laboratory in a tiny minority of cases. In the US, for example, so far this season, 1,073,976 specimens have been tested And 222,552 have tested positive for influenza, that's 20.7%. In the same period, the estimated number of influenza-like illnesses is between 36 million and 51 million with an estimated 22,000 and 55,000 flu deaths. Note the uncertainty about influenza-like illness deaths, a 2.5-fold range corresponding to tens of thousands of deaths. Every year, some of these deaths are due to influenza and some are due to other viruses like common cold coronavirus. In an autopsy series that tested for respiratory viruses and specimens from 57 elderly people who died during 2016 to 2017 influenza season, influenza viruses were detected in 18% of the specimens, while any kind of respiratory virus was found in 47%. In some people who die from viral respiratory pathogens... More than one virus is found upon autopsy and bacteria are often superimposed. A positive test for coronavirus does not necessarily mean that the virus is primarily responsible for a patient's demise. So if we assume that the case fatality rate amongst individuals infected by SARS-CoV-2 is 0.3% of the general population, that's a mid-range guess from the Diamond Princess analysis, and that 1% of the US population gets infected, That's about 3.3 million people and 10,000 deaths. It sounds like a large number, but it's buried within the noise of estimated deaths from influenza-like illnesses. If we had not known about a new virus out there and had not checked individuals with PCR tests, the number of total deaths due to influenza-like illnesses would not seem unusual this year. At most, we might have casually noted that flu this season was a little bit worse than average. The media coverage would have been less than for an NBA game between two indifferent teams. Some worry that the 68 deaths from COVID-19 in the US up to March the 16th will increase exponentially to 680, 6,800, 68,000, 680,000, along with similar catastrophic patterns around the globe. Is this a realistic scenario or bad science fiction? How can we tell at what point such a curve might stop? The most valuable piece of information for answering those questions would be to know the current prevalence of the infection in a random sample of a population and to repeat this exercise at regular time intervals to estimate the new infections. Sadly, the information doesn't exist. In the absence of data, prepare for the worst reasoning leads to extreme measures and social distancing and lockdowns. Unfortunately, we do not know if these measures work. School closures may reduce transmission rates, but they may also backfire if children socialise anyhow. If school closure leads children to spend more time with elderly family members, if children at home disrupt their parents' ability to work, school closures may diminish the chances of developing herd immunity in an age group that has spread serious disease. This is also the perspective behind the different stance of the United Kingdom, keeping schools open, at least until I write this. In the absence of data on the real course of the epidemic, we don't know whether this perspective was brilliant or catastrophic. Unfortunately, two days after he wrote this, Boris Johnson announced that All schools will close this Friday, the 21st of March, so we don't know if that's genius or not. Flattening the curve to avoid overwhelming the health system is conceptually sound in theory. A visual that has become viral in media and social media shows how flattening the curve reduces the volume of the epidemic that is above the threshold of what the health system can handle at any moment. Yet if the health system does not become does, sorry. If the health system does become overwhelmed, the majority of the extra deaths may not be due to coronavirus but to other common diseases and conditions such as heart attacks, strokes, trauma, bleeding and the like that are not adequately treated. If the level of the epidemic does overwhelm the health system in extreme measures of only modest effectiveness, then flattening the curve may make things worse. Instead of being overwhelmed during a short acute phase, the health system will remain overwhelmed For a more protracted period, there's another reason we need data about the exact level of the epidemic activity. One of the bottom lines is that we don't know how long social distancing measures and lockdowns can be maintained without major consequences to the economy, society and mental health. Unpredictable evolutions may ensue, including financial crisis, unrest, civil strife, war and a meltdown of the social fabric. At a minimum, we need unbiased prevalence and incidence data for the evolving infections load to guide decision making. In the most pessimistic scenario, which the author does not espouse, if the new coronavirus infects 60% of the global population and 1% of the infected people die, that will translate to 40 million deaths globally, which would match the 1918 Spanish flu influenza pandemic. The vast majority of this hecatomb would be people with limited life expectancies. That's in contrast to 1918 when many young people died. One can only hope that, much like in 1918, life will continue. Conversely, with lockdown of months, if not years, life largely stops. Short-term and long-term consequences are entirely unknown and billions, billions, not just millions of lives may eventually at stake. If we decide to jump off the cliff, we need some data to inform us about the rationale of such an action and the chances of landing somewhere safe. Coming up in the next week, we have the smattering of Australian Aussie Rules Football and Australian Rugby League which could be taken, the plug could be pulled at any time. There's some Belarusian football, can you believe? Some Turkish football survives, and a couple of the South American leagues go on. And as discussed earlier, there will be one meeting a day behind closed doors in Ireland. At Bookie Bashing HQ, we have a decision to make. It would be extremely obvious to close down operation at this moment in time. The PGA and the Golf Tracker is paused. Early Payout Tracker is paused. But we made a decision that we will continue until we can no longer provide £2.23 worth of EV per day. That figure is very much a representative figure. I think we'll kind of figure it out. If we've come to zero, if we're not putting anything up and we know it, then a decision will need to be made about freezing the site. Um, But there's some quiet optimism that we would be able to maintain a minimum level of standard that is obviously significantly lower way lower than we ever imagined we would have i mean the whole concept the idea of bookie bashing was that it was a suite of tools if you didn't like this idea go and do this idea have a look at this idea or try this idea go and look over there or go and look over here or go and look over there or go and look at the shops or go and look at the football go and look at the racing go and look at the golf you know The idea was that it was a suite of information, never just a small sideline or small amount of value that focused in one particular area. But these are extreme measures and extreme times just now. And so the decision has been made that whilst we can provide a small amount of value, we will keep things ticking over until we can come to a more intelligent decision about where the future's going to go, when the sport is going to come back, and all of that. Just now it is very early doors. Too early to make a rash decision. So we're going to play it by ear. Whatever it is that you're betting on. That's not the important thing, actually, just now. Make a value would be good. But what I ask is that, Look, I'm no doctor and I'm no governmental advisor. What I do know is the limitations of my knowledge. There are more intelligent people out there making decisions and recommendations. Generally, those recommendations have been social distancing and self-isolation when somebody shows um, symptoms. And at the same time, uh, I know that The tubes are packed in London and people are going to pubs and restaurants and people are taking kids to nursery and then going and see elderly people. It might work out that that's absolutely fine. I've made the decision for me and my family that I need to listen to the recommendations that are around me. And those recommendations are that we are staying at home and we're not off to see my elderly parents, and I hope those with access to more information than me have been making the right decisions, not just for me and my family, but for the vulnerable around us and society as a whole. And perhaps we all should be just listening carefully to what those recommendations are. Stay healthy and stay good guys. Don't know if there'll be a Bashcast back anytime soon. Perhaps the self-isolation means that (laughs) it's more likely than it is unlikely. But uh, this is Tom signing out.